Welcome to our series on Living Lessons. In this series, we're going to dive into the scriptures and look at some of the characters and their lives of faith. The intention, of course, is to learn lessons that are easily transportable to our lives. I know that sometimes with the great heroes of the faith or characters of the Bible, we tend to put them on a pedestal and we think, oh, that's a wonderful old story. That's a great person who, was, who did great things in God's plan, but what does that have to do with me? My contention is these people are people just like you and me. They lived lives with the same kinds of struggles, the same wrestling with their faith, the same failures, the same triumphs, and in that sense, they can be great inspiration to us. In this first lesson, I'd like to look at the first couple, Adam and Eve. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. I want to look at this in a little different way. Of course, the account in Genesis is indeed an account of how God created what is here, how God created man and woman. But I'd like to look beyond that story because I think that the story of creation is less about telling us how God did it and more about telling us why God did it. So we're going to look at the first couple, the first marriage. And I'd like to look at two specific passages. If you want to read along with me, I'm going to read to you chapter 2, starting in verse 15, the account of the making of Adam and Eve. Chapter 2, verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him to work in the garden of Eden, and he was there to keep it, to tend it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, because in the day that you eat of that you will die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper who is suitable for him or fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So he named the livestock and the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper who was fit or suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And then Adam said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed." Well here you have that account that's probably familiar uh, to you of Adam and Eve and their coming together. And I'd like to focus a little on this key relationship and I'm going to talk about their marriage, but I also want you to see God's design for all of our intimate relationships, our family relationships, etc. But we're going to focus on this idea of marriage. The thing I want you to see in this first scene of our story, this is going to be a story in two scenes, and in scene one you see God's design. You see harmony. Not only is Adam in harmony with God, with creation, the beasts, the, the garden, and he's in harmony with Eve as well. And so what God created was to be good, he was created to be in harmony. In fact, in this passage you see the first instance after creation where God said something was not good. Do you remember what that was? It was not good to be alone. In other words, there's a clue there. We were created 
for that relationship, for companionship. I also want to point out to you God's original design for men and women. The Bible is not very concerned about what our culture is concerned about. In other words, the, the gender discussion in our culture today revolves around what does equality really mean? Are men and women equal and what does that actually mean? Are men and women unequal and is that oppressive and what does that mean? The Bible doesn't particularly talk about that. That's not an interesting question to God, so to speak. What God wants to talk about is this idea of complementarity suitability, fitness. You notice twice in here, God said there's not a suitable companion, a fit helper. All these words capture this Hebrew idea of someone to complement Adam. That's the idea of uh, where Adam's strengths, where Adam's weaknesses, where Eve's strengths and weaknesses, how can I bring them together and form a more complete relationship? In fact, it talks about marriage, the two become one flesh. You get this idea of incredible intimacy, but incredible complementarity. And I want you to, to really separate what the Bible wants to talk about, about both sets of cultural history. In one sense, we have a cultural history that says, in Christian marriages, men mow the yard and women do the cooking and men take the trash out and women do that. On the other extreme, you have our culture today to say, there's virtually no difference between men and women physically, intellectually, economically, in any way whatsoever. The Bible actually doesn't agree with either one of those. The Bible talks about this relationship being very complementary, suitable helper. I'll give you an example, and every one of your marriages is going to look a little bit different. In my marriage with Laura, there are things that Laura's very good at, and I'm not, and she brings that, and I value that. And so in our marriage, she does certain things, and I do others, and it's very complimentary. I'm so grateful to her. For example, she's a great researcher, and when our children were trying to figure out the intricacies of college and how do you apply for these scholarships and that, I was so grateful for her ability to just she knew all the facts. She was able to really guide them well. Left to my own devices, I don't know, they'd probably be working down at Walmart as a greeter or something, you know, but my wife had that skill and together we we're able to help them do that. I know you see that in your own marriage. In fact, occasionally I'll be driving in our neighborhood and I'll see a wife mowing the yard. Now, I'm just in awe of that. I just want to tell you. I don't know how you get that deal, but that's a good deal. Seriously, my point is this. There's not a cookie cutter in your marriage. You are suitable helpers to each other. This is a togetherness. What works together for you that you are aligned? Because the key things you see in this marriage, Adam and Eve, is that they see each other as being together on this mission of pursuing what God has done for them. You know, our marriages tend to get off track when it becomes me against her, her against me. But God's design is us-ness us doing this together, us complementing each other. I think it's really important for us to see this design because I don't know and I'm not convinced it's possible for us to fully attain this in the fallen world and state in which we live, but I do know this is where we together are headed. This is God's design for our marriage. Well, let's look at scene two and let's bring into play the distortion that sin brings to all of our life, but to this key relationship as well. 
We were at a wedding recently, and I, every time I go to a wedding, I'm really struck, just very visually struck, that marriages, weddings bring people together, obviously the bride and groom, but also families. It's a togetherness. Sin separates. And that's exactly what you see in scene two. Let me read some of chapter three, starting in verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts, and he said to the woman, did God say you, won't, you shouldn't eat of any tree? And the woman said, uh, we may eat of, of all the fruit of the trees of the garden, but not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if we do, we're gonna die. And the serpent said, now you won't die. First lie, right? God knows when you eat of it, you'll be like God and you'll know good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was delightful to the eyes and the tree was desired to make you wise, she ate of it and she gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They heard the sound of God walking and what did they do? They hid because they realized now that they were naked. They hid themselves from the presence of God and God said, who told you you were naked? And who have you eaten of the fruit of the tree? And the man Adam said, the woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what have you done? And she said, it was the serpent, he deceived me and I ate. So what you see here in scene two is the effects of disobedience, of sin, and how it's gonna to begin to separate. And as you read on, you'll realize, remember the harmony with God, that's disrupted. The harmony with nature is very much disrupted as you continue to read. The harmony between Adam and Eve is disrupted. And as you look at their life as you go on, there's never again that same sense of completeness, of togetherness. And so uh, I want to look at two things here. One is this hiding. Uh, yeah, it's, it's obvious why Adam and Eve hid. They were ashamed. They were embarrassed. And you may look at that and you may say, yes, that's an interesting old story, Terry. But I'm going to tell you, this story happens today in your marriage, in your key relationships, uh, in exactly the same way. Let me tell you what hiding is today. Hiding is denial. We hide from the truth of what we've done. I'll give you a great example. It doesn't reflect well on me, but it's true. Uh, particularly early in our marriage uh, with Laura, my wife is, again, she is very good accountability partner. And by the way, you should be that to each other. No one loves you more. And so let's listen to each other because it's us together growing toward God. We can help each other. And she was helpful. She would point out things. Now, Terry, this, this is not good for you or you're working too much or you're doing this or whatever. And my reaction was, well, I think she's right. But did I say, you know, I think you're right. Let's, I appreciate that. Let's talk about that. No, I ran and hid. In other words, I reacted like Adam and Eve. And what does that look like? Denial. It's like, well, no, wait a minute. That's not the case. And, and I become angry. You know, well, well, how dare you tell me that? As a matter of fact, I've been keeping a list about you, too. You see that reaction? And I know it's natural. And, of course, we have to be careful and gentle when we talk to each other. But that's the same thing Adam and Eve did. I was hiding. I was denying the truth of what was said. And instead, I wanted to run away from it instead of embracing it. And we do that pretty frequently in our relationships, don't we? I want you to see that what happened in that garden is still playing itself out in our lives. The hiding is our denial, our unwillingness to face the truth of our failures, even with someone who loves us enough to want to help us continue to grow. Instead, it can be a separator, and we have to battle that. The second thing you see is the blaming. Can you imagine the car ride home after this incident? Eve is 
how dare you embarrass me in front of God? You pointed at me. Well, the truth is, they both did, didn't they? Adam said, it's the woman that you gave me. You made her, you know, not blaming you, but you created her. She made me eat. He was there with her when you read the text. And what did Eve say? It was the serpent. He's very crafty, by the way, you created him too. In other words, we tend to blame. We want to deflect this. Both of those tactics, that denial of the truth, that wanting to point somewhere else, are ways that we bring the togetherness and we disrupt it. We now become adversaries in our marriage. The reason I tell you this is I'm convinced that this is the reason that this is here, is to give us a blueprint of what God wants in our relationships and what sin does to them. Specifically, the sin of denying the truth, the things we're ashamed of, and the sin of deflecting, blaming. Sometimes it's each other, sometimes it's other things. That failure to account for that, even in the marriage relationship. These are things that happen today in our marriages. These, but it's key to me that we understand what are we trying to get to. I want you to hold in your head Genesis chapter 2 is this is what we were made for. As Christians, particularly in Christian marriages, this is what we do. In fact, when you get in those arguments, and I know that this happens, and it's happened to everybody, and sometimes you even forget what you're arguing about, it's so trivial. When we get in those arguments, sometimes it's good to stop, to step back and remember what are we about. It's us together. Let's never lose our usness, our togetherness, that we are together helping each other become more fully formed like Christ. So let me take a deep breath, let go of my denial, my anger, my blaming, and let's re-engage together. I found that to be so helpful in times when I'm, I'm arguing is to step back and regain my perspective. Genesis 2 is that perspective. Genesis 3 is the description of what we see all too often when we struggle with our sins that want to turn us against each other. Well, I'd like for you to take some time and discuss some of this. I'd like to discuss the relevancy of this in our lives. And so hopefully some of the discussion questions in your group will help you get at the reality and the day-to-day, -day, how can I put this into practice in my marriage today?